Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Karen Temple of the MPA. She is the Senior Executive Vice President and Global General Counsel for the Motion Picture Association, uh, one of the world's leading authorities on copyright. Uh, Karen, you had one of the, the best titles of any of any person in government or elsewhere, right? What, what was your actual title at, at the at the end of your tenure in the copyright office? It, oh, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here, Sonny. Um, the title was the uh, United States uh, Register of Copyrights and the Director of the U.S. Copyright Office. So it's a double title, I guess, in a way. Uh, yeah. But that person is the, the head of the United States Copyright Office uh, who runs that 400 plus person uh, organization. I just love that Register of Copyrights. I am the Register of Copyrights. It is uh, that is a that's a delightful uh, title. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy to have you on today because we're going to be talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, which is the fight against piracy. When, when I tell people that I am, uh, I, I, it's a thing that makes me angry. They often look at me very confused. They're like, you know, of all, with all the problems in the world, it's piracy that gets you going. But yes, it is. It drives me crazy. And I, I want to relate one story before we get started here to kind of explain why. I went to see uh, Priscilla. I went to see Priscilla, the A24 movie. It was out in theaters. Went to, I went to the, the, my local Angelica. I sat down. It toward the back because that's where I usually like to sit, uh, and the movie starts. And somebody in the the front section, you know, the the lower seats, not the raised ones, pulled out their phone and started recording it. Just did, boop and was recording it, and I could see it. I could see it all happening. It was very distracting because it was on the screen and then it was on the little screen. And I thought, okay, maybe he's just going to do this for a minute. And he's maybe he's getting a meme. Or something is gonna make this a TikTok thing. I don't know. I I I I don't really want to have to get out of my seat. But it kept going for two or three minutes, and I was just like, all right, this guy, stop. I went down there. I was like, sir, I I can see that behind you. You have to stop doing this, or I'm gonna go oh, wow. get an usher. And he was like, ah, but I'm not bothering anybody. I was like, wrong. You are bothering me. But also, this is just what I imagine happens all the time, all around the world. People just kind of taking cam rip movie little videos on their phone and then putting it on the internet. So, all right, so let's say this guy was like an actual pirate, right? He's a, he's dedicated to getting this on the internet. What is his next step? What does, what do you have to fight against when he gets that file and goes home and uploads it to his computer and then it goes, God only knows where? Well, that's the pro problem. It, it does go God only knows where. And so that's why we have, uh, you know, a number, hundreds, literally, of investigators and lawyers and other content protection officials that we work with both in the United States, but, you know, quite frankly, elsewhere, overseas as well, because what he will likely do is go home, as you said, upload it to his computer, send it to a location somewhere outside of the United States. It could be Vietnam, it could be Korea, it could be China. And those operators will then potentially upload it to a yet another service. They might upload it to a uh, video hosting service. They might upload it to a, you know, a cyber locker. They could decide to share it on a BitTorrent site or some other peer-to-peer -peer site. And then it goes viral and it's not only in the United States, it's in every country that has access to the Internet. And that's what we are, are dealing with on a day to day basis. So uh, I had one of your colleagues on a couple months back and we talked about uh, the MPA's uh, 360 degree strategy. Basically, the, I talked to her about how you stop 
files from leaking beforehand, how you how you keep things locked down in house to make sure, you know, pre-release stuff doesn't get out there. And that's obviously a huge problem. And, you know, the studios have to do all sorts of safety measures to stop that. But then there's the second once a movie has been released and is in the world, there, there's only so much the studios can do. Uh, there's really not very much the studios can do. There's not a whole lot the theaters can do. Theaters are understaffed. They don't have the the manpower to send in security guards into every screening. Um, so, uh, you know, the, so what is, what is the, what is the, I guess the back half of that 360 degree strategy? Once it's been released, you guys, uh, kind of step in and say, all right, here's what we're, how we're going to fight this here, here, here. How does that work? Yeah. And it, and, you know, it, it might depend on the, the, the specific, uh, target type of release location. So we, we have a variety of methods, uh, but that is, I think, coordination, global coordination is is really a pillar for us because of the global nature of digital piracy. As we just discussed, you know, it's going to go from the United States potentially or from one country to another very quickly. And what we will do is marshal the global footprint that we currently have through our organization, the Alliance for Creativity and Entertainment, where we actually have, again, lawyers and investors investigators in multiple countries around the world, as well as contacts with law enforcement in multiple countries around the world. Uh, Depending on the specific target, it could be that we decide that going the criminal route is the most effective way. That usually is when we have a jurisdiction that we know, um, that we work with closely. It might be something like the United, you know, we if the operators are located in the United Kingdom or in Italy, we will go to the, the those jurisdiction, those jurisdictions and specifically the law enforcement teams in those jurisdictions and say, we have traced the operators of this particular illegal service to your country. Can you help us to shut this down? Uh, but unfortunately, sometimes there are operators who are located in other countries where we don't have um, quite the cooperation that we would like, or it's just difficult. They have you know, not as many resources to go after uh, those uh, illegal services. So we might decide that we're not going to be able to, to um, rely on the criminal law enforcement in that particular country. Uh, either we might try civil litigation in the United States, but sometimes that's difficult, you know, getting the jurisdiction here. Um, But an option is civil litigation. We also do a lot of self-help. So in those countries, we, if we can find, and we often can find the operators. So we'll find the individuals that the person in the United States sent the, the file to, Uh, we will actually go to their homes and we will um, say we will we know where you are and we plan on so you know litigating against you um, directly if you are if you don't stop uh, your illegal activity so we have people on the ground in those countries who will um, you know sometimes serve direct season to sit what we call season desist letters on those individuals uh, letting them know that we are about to, to sue them civilly we also uh, potentially might do something that is very effective for us where we're not able to shut down the site. We might uh, decide that another uh, method is cutting off um, access to the site. 
and this and cutting off money to the site, uh, basically trying to kind of choke all of the various level, you know, all of the various resources that the hi- the site has um, to exist. So that would in- involve, from our perspective, going to those jurisdictions where we have uh, a regime called site blocking, which prevents access to the site in those lo- in those jurisdictions. It might be working cooperate cooperatively with advertising companies or search engines or others who um, are use you know are supporting the site unknowingly uh, to say cut off their access to MasterCard and Visa. Make sure they're removed from search results. Uh, so we it depends on the the specific target and the jurisdiction, but typically it's a, it's a choice or between criminal referrals, so working with law enforcement, direct civil litigation. Um, sometimes again, where we go first directly to them, and uh, if they don't uh, desist, then we sue them, uh, and 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 voluntary cooperation with our kind of intermediary partners uh, to, to disrupt the site in some way and make it less effective. It's interesting. Uh, you mentioned going to the, the search engines and asking them to, to kind of uh, block those sites. I, I'm curious what the um, how I, I, I'm, I'm curious how, how you guys have uh, um, how, how good that relationship is with the, the, the search engines. Cause I know there was some, there was some friction back when the uh, stop online Pi- piracy act was, being argued, the Google and and the tech companies were like, "Well, this is gonna, this is bad. We don't want to have to have have the site blocking." But I I do also, you know, you see DMCA takedowns uh, on on websites all the time. You see people complaining about them, uh, you know, sometimes. So how how does that relationship actually work? Do you just send them a letter say, "Hey, you got to get rid of these guys"? What's the process there? Yeah, and so I mean, and, and it depends. We were. Initially talking about those kind of commercial level wholesale illegal services, um, those types of services whose sole purpose is infringing, uh, you know, our content uh, and, you know, supporting often these, you know, mob organizations and and criminal organizations are not going to respond to the DMCA uh, notice takedown process. And so that is something that we do uh, use in the United States, um, you know, primarily primarily for UGC user generated content where we'll send notices and we send millions um, to the YouTubes or the Facebooks or metas of the world where we say this has um, been uh, uploaded by an individual. It should not be up there. It is I- illegal. Um, and we constantly do that. But with respect to the, the, the true illegal services, the commercial services, they're not going to respond. Uh, and so we don't do the DMCA takedown because they're not going to take down down um, the infringing uh, services. What we instead do, yes, is sit down with the Googles of the world, um, the metas of the world, the advertisers of the world to say, do you realize that um, you know the this particular illegal site is you know um, advertising through your you know company? Do you realize that this illegal site is using Mastercard or Visa? Obviously, you don't want to 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 have um, your brand in any way connected to an illegal service that might be, you know, uh, funneling money back to a Russian, um, you know, illegal Russian uh, casino. Uh, and you know, Google, do you do you want to have as a if somebody's searching the movie Superman, do you really want to have the top? 20 search results go to an illegal service. And I would say that now 
in light of the um, development of the technology and the clear effectiveness of things like site blocking. I think we've gone come a long way since those initial SOPA PIPA conversations where there was a lot of heated rhetoric that if you know you cooperated with content and uh, you know restricted access to sites somehow that would you know harm the internet or kill the internet. Uh, that is really not has not been the experience in the last ten years that we've been doing this in forty different countries. And so what we we actually see is more collaboration and cooperation from the ISPs that we work with and from um, the intermediaries we work with. They don't want to support illegal services. So, you know, it's a matter of pointing out that you don't want to support, you know, illegal services and working with them cooperatively to uh, to disrupt those services. So I think those conversations have really got, come a long way, and we are actually in a much better position with um, the intermediaries that we work with than we have in the past. And so, you know, in the in the Motion Picture Association, for example, we have a specific individual and team that is dedicated to just intermediary outreach. So, you know, we have our civil litigation team. I have my uh, criminal, uh, you know, referral and investigative team. But I also have, you know, people who just work on, you know, having those specific conversations with intermediaries to ensure that we can disrupt these illegal services. Uh, so that's something new, but it shows, um, you know, how uh, positive the relationship can be if we work together uh, to make sure that we're not supporting illegal services. Well, let's, I, let's talk a little bit about site blocking, because I will say, again, I, I, I am a copyright hawk in a very real way. I, I support, you know, uh, most of, but I do remember when, when SOPA was being argued, the, the issue of site blocking came up and I will admit to being a little bit, you know, hesitant to say, well, I don't know that I want, I don't know that I want the government to have the power to just like push a button and block off access to a site. Understandably, it makes sense in this context, but that's, you know, they're slippery slope arguments. So let's let's discuss what that actual process looks like. You know, the, the ju judiciary steps involved, that sort of thing. What does it when you say, all right, site blocking, what does that actually mean? Yeah, and I think uh, unfortunately, I, I I think I was at the copyright office during these conversations, and you know we were heavily in, involved at the time and just reviewing those issues. And there was a lot of again heated rhetoric about what would potentially happen, and the again the sky is falling rhetoric. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of experience with site blocking because some countries had site blocking uh, during SOPA and PIPA, but we didn't we didn't have site blocking in a large number of countries. Whereas now there are, as I said, forty you know countries who are who are implementing various site blocking regimes, and I think. The important thing to emphasize with those regimes is that this is not a situation where um, the the framework allows an individual content owner to come and just have an ex parte communication with either the um, and that's a you know a a conversation without the the potential defendant uh, either with the government or uh, with the court to say site block. 
there is an actual framework in, in these countries which allows for due process. So the defendant is notified. Uh, the legal service is notified and it has an opportunity to be heard um, in these cases in which you know we're, we're requesting site block. So basically we will go to, we will go to the court. Um, sometimes it's an administrative body in, in certain countries, but we will go to, to, to the court and you know say, here's our evidence very clear evidence that this is a structurally infringing site. We're not talking about, you know, a UGC site that somebody might have uploaded um, an illegal movie, but also they're, they're, they're uh, uploaded their, you know, grandmother's uh, home videos. This is clearly an infringing site. Here's all of the um, evidence that we have, and therefore we need to get this site blocked in this jurisdiction then the court will give an opportunity for the legal site to come forward if they so choose and say, no, we're not structurally infringing. We, we are a legitimate service. And only after that process where there is an opportunity for that defendant to come in and make, you know, arguments that, that somehow this is uh, an error or is, is not, you know, legally sound will a court then order site blocking and a court will require us and we do um, monitor the site blocks to ensure that um, we have the right domain names that we have the white ip addresses that there's no um, effect on legitimate sites and in our um, experience doing site blocking for the last 10 years overseas again the instances of potential kind of what we would consider over blocking are, are, are basically non-existent. Um, we have such a, a good process in now where we identify structurally infringing services. We know what the domains are and we only address those d- domains. We're constantly 24 seven checking to see if they've hopped to a different domain so that we are not blocking sites that are legitimate sites. I mean, how much of this is whack-a-mole? Like, how much of it is, you know, the, the you, you take down one site and then the same exact site pops up and instead it's, instead of being, you know, 123 piracy, it's 124piracy.com. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, that you know, that is becoming an increasing problem or issue. It, we don't want to get to a point of of the whack-a-mole that we have, for example, with the notice and takedown regime where we're where we send notices and then immediately the you know the the link or um, the file goes back up and we have to send yet another notice. In the case of site blocking, what works most effect- effectively it, for us, what we've seen is that having a situation where we have what we call ni- dynamic site blocking, and that is, again, we're monitoring constantly to see if something has you know, hopped a domain um, or, and, and to ensure that uh, somehow there's not any um, you know, effect on a legitimate domain name or, or site. So those regimes that are kind of the most effective allow for a streamlined process with respect to uh, site blocking. If someone says, yeah, you had, you know, you know, restricted access to one, two, three movies dot, you know, X, Y, Z, and now it's one, two, four movies dot X, Y, Z. We can go back in. We don't have to start from scratch, um, but we can just show that essentially this is a, this domain has just hopped to another domain, but it's going back to the original 
um, website, and then we are able to very quickly and efficiently site block that as well. Um, so that is, I think, the way that we handle, um, you know, kind of the potential whack-a-mole problem. And then the other way that we handle it is, again, it's a multi-prong um, effort. So it is working with the search engines as well, um, saying to the, you know, the search engines of the world, we have blocked these sites and these jurisdictions. And in those jurisdictions and where, the, where they have been blocked, ensure that they are not available to be searched and, 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 and come up in as a result in, in those jurisdictions. And that has been, again, another way we are ensuring that we're very, very effective. It's not just the site block, it's the site block plus ensuring that search and results don't come back with these sites or related domains, um, you know, to have unsuspecting civilians go to the to the websites. Yeah. What, what, which countries uh, has this rolled out in? Because, yeah, I, I, we, we talk about partner countries, uh, but I, I, I do think it I, I think it's mildly reassuring to hear the countries that have actually rolled this out. It's not. Well, it's it, it, I'll say it's not, you know. Uh, all uh, repressive regimes is, is is how I would put it. Right. And that's one of the things that we, we like to, you know, emphasize when we're, you know, talking to either legislators um, in the United States or elsewhere who are considering developing a site blocking framework. Again, the experience is not experience in these repressive regimes. There are we have direct experience in regimes that have dem democratic values that respect free speech in the same way we do. So the United Kingdom, of course, is, is one of them. They've had uh, site blocking for some time. Uh, uh, Canada, Australia, India, Brazil, South Korea, Israel. So there are a number of regimes out there that are democratic regimes that have these protections. Um, we support those protections in, in terms of due process. Uh, so we, ne you know, when we're advocating for site blocking, we say we, we agree that there should be due process protections. And they have been able to be very successful in implementing a framework that works to, to go after the worst of the worst infringers, but does not affect the average consumer's um, ability to access legitimate sites. And uh, what what is the what is the effect of the site blocking? I mean, I I've I've read uh, that that it's not just cutting down on you know what what's out there illegally. It also aids the the actual you know uh, legitimate sites. Yeah, and I think that's something again that w when we were talking about SOPA PIPA. You know, we, we didn't have necessarily an organization like the MPA has now and the Alliance for Creativity and Entertainment where, you know, we have, you know, again, the dedicated staff, uh, almost more than 100 uh, individuals working on these issues. We have a research team that is focused on strategy and efficacy of all of our enforcement methods. So we don't want to have a regime that doesn't work. It doesn't that doesn't help the you know the content owners. Uh, so we regularly research the efficacy of all of our enforcement methods. And what we've been able to find with site blocking is that it not only obviously restricts access to the site, um, and so it you know it prevents people from going to um, the legal site. But it also has a follow-on effect on encouraging legitimate sites, um, and we see an, a, a significant, a statistically significant um, impact on in, increased usage 
to the legitimate sites when we do site blocking waves. And that's something that we constantly work to make sure that we are doing even more strategy and research to say, okay, um, you know, maybe multiple waves of site blocking will even increase the number of people going to legitimate services, maybe adding um, as a strategy site blocks with some criminal referrals will help uh, in terms of increasing the impact of um, those site blocks. So we do a lot of research to ensure that not only does it have a, you know, effect on the the service themselves, but it, it, you know, it affects the, um, the overall economy by actually, you know, encouraging the average consumer to go to legitimate services. And I would say the average consumer probably doesn't want to get their their um, movies from an illegal service, if, especially when you think about the fact that that illegal service might be, again, this, you know, Russian casino, uh, illegal casino that you don't necessarily want to have access to uh, your information, data, and credit cards, uh, and would prefer to go to a legitimate site. Well, it's it's funny because I was I was reading your uh, your testimony before Congress back in December, I think it was, um, and there there was a section in there that that I had never actually seen before. It had never really even occurred to me, but uh, the number of people who uh, sign up for one of these sites with a credit card and suddenly find charges in the Philippines or you know uh, elsewhere is is pretty high, right? Yeah, I mean, and and that's one of the things where. I think that's an effective uh, message for us to use with consumers. Uh, obviously, we, we we hope that consumers care about creators and the creative economy and the amount of bil- the billions of dollars that um, the movie industry is able to contribute to the U.S. economy. But if you don't care about that issue and, and you're you you want to focus on just yourself, um, you know the the research demonstrates that those who pay for, for example, pay for um, these illegal services with the credit cards are three or four times more likely to be victims of identity theft and malware than those who do not. So it's it, it, you're, there's a self-interest for, for consumers to avoid going to these illegal websites in addition to not wanting to harm um, not only the movie industry, but all of those follow-on industries um, that and smaller business that rely on the movie industry in order to um, make a living. It's funny, too, talking about paying for piracy, because I think most people, when they imagine uh, online piracy in particular, it's like, I'm going to go click on the site and download download this thing for free. And, you know, that's why I'm I'm doing it. But that's not that's not the the entirety or or the extent of online piracy. Let's just run through uh, because, again, I I come from, you know, look, I was in college from 2000 to 2004, uh, which was kind of the prime uh, years of Napster and Kazaa. (laughs) <laughs> and and those you know the peer to peer sites. So my my idea of piracy is is slightly different um, than how it actually exists uh, now in the in in the in the real world. How how people actually use it. So let's let's run through some of these. All right. So you have you have the linking and streaming websites. What are what are how do these work? Yeah. So the the linking and and and, and streaming websites. I mean, these are sites that are kind of aggregating and 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 organizing links to separate websites that you can go to um, to actually get access to the content. So um, you know, they would you would go to this uh, linking site, and there will be literally a list of links that you can click on that will take you to um, an illegal uh, website that has that is 
actually, they're not hosting the illegal website themselves. They're just giving you a way to get to that illegal um, website. Uh, so that's something we see. We also, of course, see the, the, the direct download cyber lockers, kind of video hosting services that are often the ones that are um, being linked to from the linking sites that are actually physically hosting the the uh, illegal content. Those are like uh, we, Mixdrop, for example, is, is one of those. And that's where you, you go to that site, you click on it, and you're actually directly um, getting access to, um, you know, the illegal content. And then what you kind of referenced a little bit earlier, uh, we have, uh, you know, illegal IPTV services. And these are actually subscription services. So you're right. These are services that people are paying are subscribing to get, I, you know, I think sometimes, and we find that it's, you know, they are, they are unwitting, uh, you know, participants in criminal activity in the sense that, you know, they have flashy websites. Sometimes these websites look almost exactly like, um, you know, real websites. They, they do request you to, to subscribe and pay. And so the, maybe the average consumer might not know that, wow, this website, um, even, you know, that I'm putting my information into and I'm paying something for is actually an illegal website. The, I think the, the, what you would, would tip you off is that unlike a Netflix or a Disney plus that has access to uh, just a few, um, you know, channels or things like that. And, you know, this is an IPTV service that's giving you access to every single uh, subscription service out there and all of the various channels that those services provide. Uh, so that might tip you off that why can I get access to hundreds and hundreds of channels um, for $5 when I, you know, <laughs> sign up to a, you know, the, a legitimate um, subscription service, you know, costs a, a, a much more to get access to fewer channels and fewer content. So that might give you a little clue. Um, but, yeah. uh, but the technology is, you know, so advanced that, you know, as I said, the websites look very, um, you know, they look very professional. And that's why messaging and, you know, we focus on trying to get the message out for to consumers as well as our kind of direct day-to-day -day enforcement that going to these sites is harmful to you as well. And we've actually done recently, we did a PSA with the Department of Homeland Security on the connection between mal malware and, um, you know, identity theft from these types of websites. And so that's something that we like to emphasize as well to ensure that, you know, consumers aren't, um, you know, un unwittingly allowing themselves to, to, to um, you know, be harmed. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I can't believe this deal I found. It's, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's too good sometimes, to be true. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too good be, to be true is, in fact, too good be, to be true. Um, all right, and, and then there are the, the piracy devices and apps. And when I when I hear this, what I imagine is, like, the guy who comes to your house and like changes the settings on your cable box to get you get all you slip him a fifty dollar bill and you get everything. That's that's kind of what I'm I'm envisioning here. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, very very similar. You have you know certain devices that you know can give you at you know that gives you ac access to, legitimately to subscription services and and others, but then you have devices um, that you know and we call them ISDs, illicit streaming devices that are 
com- kind of come preloaded with those apps, um, already the legal apps already on the device, so that you once you plug it in, you know, and it, you know, and connect it to the internet, now you have access to all those IP illegal IPTV services that I just mentioned through the device, um, and you know that's something. I mean, we, there are a multitude of them like lock lock and uh movie box uh but they are out there you know we work again very uh collaboratively for example with um app stores if you know so that it you know because an app store doesn't want you know to expose their uh customers to illegal apps either uh so we work very collaboratively with app stores to say you know to identify um illegal apps and make sure that they get removed but there's, you know, a lot of them out there. And so that is something that, you know, that we also do. And again, it's a multi-pronged enforcement approach that, uh, you know, we do criminal referrals, civil litigation, direct action against the, the app store. I mean, not the app store, but the app, but then also mm-hmm. work cooperatively with that app store to make sure that, um, that those apps aren't, um, you know, being sold on a legitimate service, a legitimate app store. Yeah. And then there's, uh, let's see, the, uh, the the peer-to-peer networks, the BitTorrents. Again, that that is kind of what I... Uh, what you would call is, them, yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what I am familiar with. I feel like BitTorrent has been a pain in everybody's side for a very long time now. Why, why is BitTorrent so hard to uh get it get a handle on yeah i i think peer-to-peer uh, yeah i mean i i remember when i was uh back at the recording industry association of america doing content protection and you know it, it was the rec- you know it was the music side that was really feeling the pain of peer-to-peer networks the the, mm-hmm. the film uh side hadn't uh yet gotten to that point because the technology actually didn't exist I and mean, it was taking hours and um to to be able to act you know, download the the, the content of, of film uh, films. Uh, I think it's it's difficult because of the decentralized nature of peer to peer networks, where you you have again hundreds of people throughout the world um, just contributing a, a piece of a, a file and then the the network itself being able to put that file together and, and allowing you to to see the, the all of the content um, it's difficult to go after um, the operators uh, sometimes because you can't find quote unquote the individual who's behind mm. that particular operation um, and then there's you know again multiple computers that are actually in you know involved in the swarm, so to speak, of of uh, content that's coming down, uh, so that can be difficult, uh, and and it's probably one of the reasons why it still exists. I will say though, I mean, although peer to peer still exists and it's something that we go after, again, we're increasingly seeing direct cyber locker, illegal cyber lockers, IPTV subscription services, uh, and the way they're kind of able to avoid the traps um, that cause the rise of like a peer-to-peer, which is the centralized nature of of um, their operations, is to essentially go to countries where they feel like it's going to be difficult or impossible for us to, um, to go after them uh, and have different aspects of the business be in different uh, parts of the world. So they might have their server servers that's ho- that are, that is 
hosting the content in one location. The operators might be in another location. Um, they're using cryptocurrency uh, and yet another, you know, that is b- being done through yet another co- location or entity. Uh, so the the piracy services are, are trying to get out ahead of us. Uh, and that's why we spend so much time uh, ensuring that we have really an effective network to go go after them wherever they may be located. One last one last angle here that I, I am curious about and I don't know a ton about, so I'm, I'm hoping you can you can fill me in, is uh, the world of live sports piracy, because that is I, I feel like with the with the exploding value of sports rights, you know, uh, a company pays several billion dollars for the English Premiership League. Right. You, you know, the 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 uh, I'm sorry, the English Premier League, the you know, or yeah. soccer or, or cricket or whatever. Yeah. And then, and then somebody in another country is like, "Well, I want to watch this, but I can't, or I don't want to subscribe to the the channel, or I don't have the dish I need, you know, whatever." So they're like, "Well, I'm going to go on Reddit and find a link and watch it." How how, how does that work? What is what's what? Are, I mean, I the companies must be pretty aggressive about trying to stop that because it's it's got to be terrible for their their business model yeah i mean you know it is because uh, you know obviously you know it's it's harmful for uh you know the business model if a full for you know feature film is uh you know downloaded and and, you know and put up on an illegal service uh you know in the first couple of weeks of of the release but when you're dealing with a live event that might last a few hours at most and that's when people want to see the event in that for, you know in the actual hours that it's being um, transmitted and you know getting you know getting getting access to it later is not going to be something that people are going to pay for so having access to a live event through a pirated service and not being you know subscribing it to it you know officially will mean essentially you will not be able to reap any economic returns because they're not going to come back and then uh, you know subscribe to it later so it's really important that with respect to live sports you're able to disrupt access to those types of services immediately. I mean, not with, you know, not days, not even, you know, half a day. You need to do that within hours. And that's where, um, you know, companies, do, you know, really work af- aggressively on, on dynamic site blocking to make sure that during the, the time period of a, of a live sporting event that they can constantly um, update domains that need to be blocked so that those domains you know, are not giving access during the 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 event, um, and just ensuring that um, again they're able to prevent the proliferation during the time period. Um, but it, it requires people often to stay up all night, um, ensure that you know you know when the live event is going to take place. So you have to have um, you know some of the the legal and operational investigation done ahead of time to say okay as soon as this live event is on we are going to be at the courthouse um, ensuring that any you know access uh, to these events is, is disa- disabled we are immediately um, working with the search engines and others to make sure that links are not um, showing up in, in search results again because a, a delay of 24 hours in terms of removing a, a link um, to uh, a, a live event essentially provides no uh, real world effectiveness on enforcement. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fascinating. I'm just now I'm just imagining a bunch of lawyers sitting in a judge's room somewhere watching soccer games on multiple TVs, being like, "We 
gotta get that one. That was it's uh, uh, fascinating stuff. Um, all right. Uh, well, that that was pretty much everything I wanted to to ask about uh, stopping stopping piracy and and you know uh, the the work you guys are doing. I I you know. Um, I, I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked, if there's anything you, you think folks should know about this or or anything else in the world uh, of online piracy or what the MPA is doing just in general. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the only thing I, and I will say, I, I was very, very happy to, to, to hear you say that you were personally offended by the person in the movie theater <laughs> who was uh, recording. I wouldn't recommend individuals to go up to anybody uh, because these, the, a lot of these people are actually real criminals. Um, but I, I think, you know, it is important for the average consumer to understand that this is not, the, the digital piracy is not a victimless crime. I think it's easy easy to understand that, um, you know, when somebody gets their car stolen and that that's that's a crime. Uh, it's easy to understand even, uh, you know, when, um, you know, handbags or clothing are, is, is stolen from um, from the store. It's it's a crime that has real world impact. But sometimes it's difficult for people to really, you know, comprehend the harm that stealing a movie causes. And so one of the things that we we like to, to just, you know, emphasize that, it you know, yes, um, you see the glamorous Hollywood actors and you see the studios, um, but a lot of people beyond those glamorous actors and studio heads are involved in making movies and, and making money from movies. You're talking about hairdressers. You're talking about um, painters for sets. You're talking about electricians. Um, you're talking about individual small businesses and the majority of businesses that support the movie industry are small businesses, uh, family businesses. And so when piracy occurs, it actually directly impacts those individuals as well. So we want to, you know, really um, let people, you know, know and, and, and emphasize so that they understand that it isn't a victimless crime and you're not just affecting the, the major actors, but you're actually potentially affecting your neighbors um, who might run a small business um, and not be able to run that small business anymore because movies um, aren't being able to be funded uh, and more movies are not being able to be done in their location because of, of piracy. So it's that's something that I think it's important to really emphasize. Again, you're right. You probably shouldn't. I should not have gone up to that guy, but it was it, it really was more more just the distraction of the second screen. Right. I, I could not I could not focus on what was happening on because the, there was a little bright box down at the bottom of the uh uh, if he had been a little sneakier, he probably would have gotten away with it. All right. Well, uh, I will say, if you ever need a job as an investigator, let me know. Shoot me your resume. Okay. Well, I uh, will do. Uh, all right, Karen, thank you so much for being on uh, the show today. Again, I, I've been talking to uh, Karen Temple of the MPA, um, the Motion Picture Association. Uh, very exciting uh, to have you on. Again, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Thanks, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, once again, my name is Sonny Bunch. I am culture editor at The Bulwark, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.